will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Increasing the block size to 32 megabytes right now. What would be the top five arguments that would get um, hurled against me? Oh, that's a good one. There, there are a few that the big blockers uh, uh, got, got right. Ching, like all these coins splash into the wallets of all the winners. I love that. There's a new threat out there. It's crypto. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency going to number one same as always this is episode number 106 cash tokens code and bch historiography featuring matthew kirkins today is saturday the 27th of january 2024 and our guest is the developer of the cash nice wallet he's part of the cash ninjas project he's part of cash script doing a little bit of everything in the scene and most importantly will be speaking at bch bliss welcome back to the show matthew how are you doing man oh glad to be on again uh, and thanks for the introduction i really like the name cash in my projects it seems uh, yes <laughs> good branding consistent branding yeah and a lot has happened since we uh last spoke i think right before the uh cash tokens upgrade so uh, yeah, it's funny you say that about the branding because that's actually something that the uh, community has had like a huge win out of is everybody always says, oh, this whole Bitcoin cash thing, isn't it just a worse branding than the original Bitcoin thing? But that's kind of not in the sense that they've already squatted all the domain names and all the mm -hmm. like Bitcoin yeah, meetup, the Bitcoin conference and all that stuff. And yeah. so then we in, can just call our things the cash whatever, and it mm -hmm. kind of fits. So yeah, it works. I think it works out for us in that. Or like BCH Bliss, you don't even need the cash in the branding. If you yeah, if you do proper branding, you can have your own independent name and still stand out. And as time goes on, I'm loving the whole uh, green more and more and more. Like that just seems to be just infecting. But green was never my favorite color. I always really liked black and purple, like a nice royal purple. But these days I just I I spend so much time looking at green like uh graphics and green stuff for Bitcoin Cash. And I have so much uh positive association with all the people in Bitcoin Cash and stuff that now I'm like yeah, green, you know, isn't green the best color? <laughs> yeah, there was hard work to actually get to this green because in the very early days, I think it will still pop up if you just search for the Bitcoin Cash logo. You will still see some like original orange logos with the uh, the wings, like the, the cash bill. Like, yeah, square. Uh, yeah, so so that was, was always worse. For... That was always yeah, worse. Definitely... Like, I was never a fan of that cash bill. I was like, okay, well, you got to have something to sort of... Uh, differentiated but Definitely. it's circular is so much uh better because you can easily put a circle inside a square thing for branding if you need to but you can't easily put a square inside of like a circle thing it doesn't look as good so it was yeah. always better and i like that it's tilted up as well too now in hindsight it's kind of like wasn't that always better it looks more <laughs> optimistic right <laughs> yeah the sort of downwards yeah, that's true. is it I don't know if the, is it squaring the circle or circling the square in alchemy that's like it's squaring the circle is the phrase okay I wonder if Vin had any takes on that when we were 
doing some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, might have to ask him sometime. I said, I think he hasn't unblocked me on Twitter yet, so I, who knows? <laughs> who knows what he's up to? I kind of wonder about that. Like him and like Dan Held is another one. Dan Held blocked me when I had like three hundred followers, and now I've got about eight thousand. And at some point, he's going to start hearing about Bitcoin Cash or the Bitcoin Cash podcast and be like. The hell, what the hell's going on with this? And then look, and I'll be at like 300,000 subscribers. <laughs> be like, what is even going on? But yeah, if you want to stick your head in the sand, you can. Anyway, so getting on to uh, Bliss. So it's 107 days until BCH of Bliss. There are 43 tickets remaining on Tap Swap. So we've been selling, selling through a few of them, but uh, still got plenty there. So if you're interested, Go, go on www.bliss.cash. You have to have the www because I haven't fixed the DNS uh, stuff yet. And tapswap.cash uh, is looking like it's going to be really great. Uh, there's 43 tickets left, so we've already sold kind of um, about half of them. Uh, people are getting excited. Community's been responding well to the Jessica NFTs and the branding and all that. And Matthew, you're going to be speaking, right? So yes. tell us a little bit uh, about what's 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 your plans? Can we get a preview or what? Yeah, so uh, Jonathan asked me and then in the beginning, I wasn't sure what, because there's a lot of things you could talk about. But uh, I think uh, because in line with the videos I make, like uh, keep doing progress updates of the news, uh, everything happening with cash tokens, I want to do cash tokens, the ecosystem after one year. So uh, a bit also looking back, but also looking forward so what new things do we need or how can we improve upon the current setup and yeah yeah so maybe like one year in hindsight and then one year into yeah exactly one projecting. year because uh yeah because with the new upgrade the yearly schedule it will also be a yeah nice. uh-huh upgrade to upgrade and do you have any thoughts as well now I've been trying to bring into the the discussion a little bit now that like Abla is already sort of locked in and everybody's agreed on that and it's even been implemented. Now we're just mostly just kind of waiting for it to to kick in, which is a sign of the fact that the whole pipeline is really mature, right? <laughs> when does that ever happen in software that you get everything done and then you're like, oh, we've got three months to spend. <laughs> but for 2025, there's various things that have been floated and discussed around uh the community do you have any takes on that what what are you looking forward to maybe upgrades or things to at least discuss for 2025 yeah, so, uh, i have been uh, pushing the vm uh, the retargeted vm limits proposal from uh, jason from the jason Dresner a bit uh, and i know that kalin so the uh, the bchn developer who also works on electron cash uh, he has started making like a, a separate branch and he will soon be uh, implementing the changes. So the changes are not that big because they're just uh, new limits for the software, but also implementing all the tests, which is um, yeah, will, which will be much more work to prove that the new limits are robust and that they uh, have all the advantages uh, that, that they should. So for people who don't know, just expand a little bit more. What What is this VM limits? Why do we need yeah. to adjust them? What's involved in that? Yeah, so if you start uh, writing smart contracts for Bitcoin Cash, one of the things that you likely will run into is the uh, opcode limit or the uh, byte size limit. So the, you can only have 200 opcodes, to only then one to be precise, in a smart contract. So this is tiny because 
like with CacheScript, you don't write in opcodes, they get compiled down in opcodes. So one line of code can actually be uh, 10 opcodes, for example, because it might do some uh, juggling on the stack. So if you compile down to a low level script, it might uh, need to, yeah. It's hard to explain if you don't know the, the low level workings, but it's just a way to compile from a high level language to a lower level language. And you quickly run into limits. And it's not nice because this limits what you can do, the applications you can build, the smart contracts, the DEXs, the DeFi uh, protocols. And these limits are there because of a very, you have a very dumb reason. They are just uh, badly implemented limits because um, they don't limit, they limit opcodes as a general thing, but doing, for example, addition or multiplication or uh, duplicating an element on the stack are very cheap operations, but doing other uh, operations like hashing is very expensive. So there should be two different limits. So ha hashing, or specifically the hash digest, should be counted separately from the actual opcodes. So it doesn't matter if you do 10 additions uh, or 10 times you do a swap with different um, items on the stack. What mainly matters is um, the hashing limit, but also how large. So you don't want to have like uh, duplicating the stack size so you get to a very large memory usage. So there should also be a account for that. So the, um, the proposal retargets the limits in a way that the worst case doesn't change. But the uh, best case, like the, the normal usage of smart contract developers allows for, uh, I think it will allow for 10,000 uh, bytes contract. So it's uh, an increase of uh, 20. So the, the smart contract developers will have 20 times the space to work with. Wow. Okay. So that's a pretty significant jump up. And like, let's say in comparison to Ethereum, right? Do they have any problems with any of this? I mean, obviously they have various scaling limitations. They also have a completely different architecture, but I don't actually know. They have the gas. Yeah, because of the gas. Kind yeah, of I think they just, yeah, I think they just have the gas limits. So we have the big advantage that we uh, don't have gas. So this is a fundamental uh, difference between, because with gas, you uh, you also don't need, you, you can be sure how much gas your transaction will cost uh, before sending it. And then uh, really, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, this is why why people do transactions and then they they end up failing and then you pay the gas cost. Um, you pay the gas cost, but your transaction didn't go through. So this is a, a model that we luckily don't know in in Bitcoin or in Bitcoin Cash. Um, yeah, because it's the the worst user experience, exa uh, especially when the fees are high. So you had people doing a swap for like a hundred dollars, and then uh, because the the chain was so congested, one hundred dollars wasn't even enough. For the transaction, so the gas wasn't enough uh, to pay for the transaction, so you lose the one hundred dollars, so the one hundred dollars worth of uh, gas fees, but but your transaction didn't happen. So your swap that you actually wanted to do didn't go through at all. Um, whereas in, in Bitcoin, of course, either uh, even when the fees are high in, in in BTC, you either have that your transaction is included and you pay the fee, or maybe your transaction uh, didn't get in a block, but you never paid the fee, like it's. It's uh, in limbo or it got kicked out of the mempool, but you can never pay for something that doesn't go through. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting, interesting. And obviously, yeah, I think this is sounds like a really great idea, like provided that we test it and stuff. Is there is there any historical reason? Like you said, maybe it was just fully implemented, but it seems strange that it would just be so 
uh, out of whack with what is realistically possible. Is it possible that we're having more opcodes now because of hardware development or improvements in the node software in the last 15 years? Or was Satoshi just kind of like, look, let me just bang on some low limits and like move on to the next think, thing? What I think the limits might have been from before even pay to script hash existed. So the standard way we do smart contracts now is you send to a, an address that's just the hash of the contract. Um, and this is a nice standardized way. So you can have addresses for smart contracts um, because otherwise if you uh, do non-standard locking scripts, then you can't actually have like nice concise addresses. Then the locking script would be the whole contract already. Uh, and another disadvantage is that the, the sender would have to pay the fee for how big the contract is. Whereas with pay to script hash, so you get a hash, so it gives some privacy. But also the, the sender doesn't care. Uh, so if I want to send a BCH to you, Jeremy, I don't care if you're using a multisig because it's all compressed down to a single hash. So uh, I, as a sender, don't care if you are using something complicated. Uh, so I, I think it's a historical reason why these uh, these limits exist. And they really should be like looked at again because it's just some uh, leftovers from the early Bitcoin days. Yeah, okay. And I know uh, emergent reasons was very uh, outspoken about when this was uh, brought up in some discussion that he's in favor, as far as I'm aware, uh, of of us doing this chip, but also being like, look, somebody really needs to actually make sure that we don't fuck it up. And like you're saying, maybe there's different categories of things and because potentially it could open a vulnerability, right? If you put the limits too high on something that was inappropriate, then somebody could like, DDoS nodes, right, by submitting transactions that made them run through way more yeah, so, operations than necessary, right? So what we definitely don't want to do is the, the logical idea of, oh, the, the limit is at 200 opcodes, let's just raise it to 1,000 opcodes. So five times bigger, what's the worst that can happen? But actually the worst, that can, it's pretty bad. You can do like a hashing of hashing of hashing, or you can do uh, keep duplicating the uh, memory that you're using on the stack. So it doubles with each opcode. Um, so because, and this is simply because the current limits are so poorly designed, so it doesn't allow for a cheap operation, it limits them way too much, but for expensive operation like uh, hashing and checking that there's no, uh, overuse of the, the memory, it doesn't check that at all. So that, that's why the current 200 is just a, a bad limit. So the retargeting would remove the opcode limit altogether and implement different limits, which are way more targeted. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So obviously we've got to make sure we've got that stuff sort of hashed out uh, ahead then, of time. But uh, yeah. And then one more thing, one more thing, of course, that I, I hope to see, but I'm, I'm not sure what the current progress is, is the UTXO commitments. I think this is a, a huge um, uh, argument in favor of the big blockers. If you can say, syncing uh, a note, it takes you, I don't know, a few days. For us, it's just uh, getting the UTXO commitment from the a block. And then you can just get the UTXO set and you don't actually need to sync the whole chain. Um, yeah, so I think that would be a huge advantage. And of course, some nodes still want all the transaction history of every transaction that every, uh, ever happened around the world. But most of them are mainly interested in who owns what money now. So they just want the UTXO set. And the quickest way they can get to the UTXO set in the most trustless way um, is what they want. So these UTXO commitments would also be a a great upgrade for scaling. Do you know what the current 
progress on that is. I'm aware that uh, Verde has made like a sort of fast sync proof of concept kind of thing in their own node. But as far as that's obviously not at the protocol level. And I also saw there was some back and forth on Bitcoin Cash research about like different ways that you can set up the commitments, which have different trade-offs in terms of how much space they take or how much the download time is impacted or, or whatever. What's the current on that, do you know? Yeah, so my impression is a bit uh, the same that there's still discussion and research ongoing of about the best trade-offs. Um, but that there's a general consensus that, yeah, this is something that we want, just like for the uh, adaptive block size limit. This was also, there was like a general consensus that, okay, yeah, we want to solve this block size limit issue once and for all that developers don't need to get together and discuss all the, the trade-offs of uh, changing the limit every now and again. Um, so I think for the UTXO commitments is the same, but indeed someone has to really drive it forward and uh, evaluate all the different proposals because there's a few different technical ways to implement it, which all have like uh, different trade-offs. Um, yeah, so I'm not too deep in the weeds, but I hope the, the Bitcoin Verde guys, um, that they drive it forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think that would be an absolutely huge uh, step forward if we could get, like I've said before, I think that and uh, quantum, sort of some kind of quantum protection at some point, probably also pretty essential to the long-term sort of success of the project, although that's been, uh, that's, a, that's a bit more, uh, what do you call it? That's a bit more vague at this point in time. That's not an immediate pressing concern. Something else that's been mentioned is sub-Satoshis. Do you have any thoughts on getting that in either next year or in the future at some point? Um, so I, I saw the proposal and I like uh, or the general outline of how it would be done. I think it was by Tom who sparked the discussion. Um, and it, I think that proposal uh, wanted to introduce a new transaction version. And the, the problem for me with introducing a new transaction version is there's a whole list of things that we want to get in when we uh, do a new transaction version because it breaks indexes and it generally, uh, uh, yeah, a large part of the ecosystem has to upgrade. Like it's, uh, it's whereas with the cash tokens upgrade, we managed to, to do things in a way that we don't require a new transaction version. So that's the uh, preferable way of doing things. Um, but so, yeah, so I'm just careful about the design of introducing a new transaction version because this, uh, yeah, if you want to do it, there's a whole list of other things we want to change. Um, so it, it's like what it's a, I've, uh, I'm not aware of things like that. What kind of things? Yeah, uh, just also optimizations, the things in the transaction version that takes too many bytes. Like I think it lock times. You can take a look at the a PMV3 proposal, which came before cash tokens, and list a few other things that it would change when it introduced a new transaction format, just to tidying tidy up uh just some leftovers historical leftovers from uh in the early bitcoin days that we know we can do better now and we can do some optimization that will save uh, a percentage on each transaction size um yeah and but i i like the idea of sub satoshis but i also think it's an upgrade that will be like a, it has a cost for the ecosystem now and the benefit is only very long term and it's always better to do uh like do the the cost it's it's better to break an ecosystem earlier rather than when it's very big but the disadvantage is uh if if we if we do something that has a cost now but the benefit is very intangible 
um, yeah, then we might hurt ourselves really in the short term. Whereas I, I would love to see things in the short term that uh, benefit us instead of make everybody's life uh, a bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah, no, very. Yeah, we're always trying to sort of balance those two things. Like you say, the earlier you fix the problem, the less <laughs> the less you have to pay that cost down the road. But on the other hand, sometimes you just got to fix the problem that's in front of you because if you're too obsessed with 10 years, you know, yeah. you might fuck it up in the one year and then you never even get there or you underperform because of the exponential impact of those, those you know, more immediate changes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I'm glad that it's something that the Bitcoin Cash community is both aware of and spends time thinking about, you know, because it takes a long time for the community to sort of chew over and reflect on these issues. A lot of it is sort of the developers, obviously, but uh, even just the general community as well, too. The, if they're hearing about these changes, they're interested, they can read up, they can be involved if they want to, or if they don't want to, that's fine, but they kind of have it on their radar. And then when it comes together you know nobody's suddenly in a big panic like where did this come from and yeah. anything like that right yeah exactly okay so uh just before we move on so i've got a i've got a video coming I, which i haven't made yet but i need to make it on uh tapswap.cash which will show how to buy a bliss nft for anybody who wants to get involved in that so if you're interested in it and you had a look but you're a bit confused or something like that i'm gonna make a guide probably with cash and ads actually uh, showing how to do that. And one last little bit of hype for Bliss this week is our meme of the week, which comes from Almas Dast, who is the original progenitor of the whole Jessica Abla thing to begin with, uh, <laughs> made a cool little 20 second, it's like a rap intro, uh, hyping up the upgrade. So let's just have a quick listen to that because I was loving these vibes. Everyone, this is Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica. That's me. Oh, hey, hey, Jessica. The lovely Jessica. And today we're joined by Jessica. 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 Hi, Jessica. Jessica. Please welcome Jessica. 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 Please welcome Jessica. Hey, this is Jessica. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, wow, this is super. This whole Jessica thing has really taken off you know it started out with just like okay we got the block size limit adjuster then the name got changed to abla bitcoin cash orders made a meme of the you know the one with the dominoes where the he changed it to the it's name similar. to abla and then suddenly it was like we had the the original memes about jessica abla and then we had the nfts and now we've got this sort of music coming out and people making little ai gifts and stuff like that so it really just goes to show the sort of group creativity i think of the bitcoin cash community can really flourish based off the smallest random things that you wouldn't really expect right yeah i really love the uh the nft tickets to make them like collectibles uh and do you like your one which 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 number have you got you must I think have number one. nine i think number nine. Nine. i shared it on uh on twitter on x <laughs> uh, <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I can show it right now, but I have it posted on uh, on Twitter. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very it's very cool. You know, I'm gonna be interested. yeah. Please, please uh, number nine. Sweet bubblegum. <laughs> bubblegum. Well, they almost all have bubblegum. Oh, <laughs> you know. Did you, did Mine you... is not a rare one. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> the ultra rare, Jessica. 
Well, it's it's a low low number, you know. Number yeah. nine is pretty good. That's out of a hundred, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they almost all have um, bubble gum and uh, headsets as well, too. But uh, uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be really interested to because I've been just loving watching on Tap Swap, like as the tickets get sold, as to which ones get bought. So we'll just see at the end, like which are the least favored Jessicas, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the leftovers, like rejected ones that nobody wanted. <laughs> Because I guess everybody everybody has different taste, you know, when it comes to that. Yeah, we're right. just looking at TopSwap now. And actually, if you if you go to it, you will see the, the wallet connect with the supporting wallet. So I think many people will be able, even if they haven't used it, they will understand which wallets are compatible. And yeah, once your of course, once your wallet is linked, then you will see your balance and you can quite easily buy. So I, I hope that by now, uh the interface is good enough that people can find their way around, even though it's not a, the slickest yet. It's uh, it, it definitely has come a long uh, way from the first version that came out in, in May of last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And that's where I think it's easy for us to overvalue or maybe underestimate uh, the other, uh, how tricky it is to actually get down the rabbit hole on all this, like for... The bliss tickets, obviously, quite a few of the people involved are people who are deep in the BCH ecosystem every day. They're involved in this yada yada. But some of the people who are coming or who are going to be involved are just people who are like, mm, Bitcoin Cash, that's pretty cool. And maybe they have some BCH on trust wallet that still doesn't yeah, that's support yeah. you know, the new uh, address yeah, that's format or something. And they're way out of the loop. Like for them, Okay, you've got to go on this site, TabSwap. You've got to connect up your wallet. Now you're buying an NFT. You need to store it somewhere and be able okay. to display it when you come to the event. Like, there's just so many steps that I think we can easily um, overlook. And obviously, this will also be fine because by next year, if we do the same thing next year, the tooling will have improved orders of magnitude. So it will just get easier and easier over time but at the moment it is still definitely and plus people get more familiar with all these concepts but uh just right now i do think <laughs> it is it is kind of like an extra barrier to entry which i don't like because it makes it harder for people to get tickets mm -hmm. but on the other hand i think it does also add to the historical nature of it then people will be able to say in hindsight like i remember when we, it was so hard to do all this stuff and when it was so new and different and that I, somebody did I also think it tickets it depends on your target audience as well. So because the the people coming to such a conference will probably be like quite motivated and following along. Whereas if, if you want to yeah, target trust wallet users or something like that, then indeed um, this would be yeah, not a good approach. But I think for yeah, 100 tickets for, uh, for the conference, uh, like the the people who want to come, I, I think they will be interested to yeah, to, to, to try out TopSwap, even if they if they are not inherently interested in NFTs or something. Yes, exactly. And the only barrier on. that I've seen, it seems to happen with the gurus people too. And it's just like the kind of new, the novel, like, yeah, the novel experience of using Wallet Connect, where it's not all in that exchange window. But yeah, aside you from need that, to that's, yeah it, it, I think the guide is like open two URLs, click this button, go back to this other tab, <laughs> click that button, go back to tab one, you're good to go. Like, <laughs> it, and it's just, yeah, it'd be a real simple guide. It's just the, I think it's weird for people to go, mm -hmm. why isn't this all in one website? But we've talked about 
why that's a good thing before. So yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's, that's also the advantage. I say. Yeah, well, that's right. Exactly. That's the thing. It's going to, as people become more familiar with this concept of, okay, your wallet software is able to talk to other sites and stuff like, like that would just become a known mm -hmm. thing, which right now, nobody is used to, even in the BCH, because let alone the rest of crypto, sort of with MetaMask, people kind of get mm -hmm. that. It pops yeah. up, you've got to connect and all that. But even then, like even like MetaMask is just way ahead of like a lot of people. Like <laughs> they like, what is it's so confusing the first time you use it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the advantage. I think of having a browser extension is it can at least just pop up in your face like a, a proof. Whereas with a, if you have a separate tab, um, then yeah, it's a little. It, it's probably the message says it changed your tab, but people think it's just loading or it got stuck. They don't see anything happening, and they. Yeah, if they don't know that they need to click the other tab, then uh, they might just yeah, give up or think something is wrong. I'm kind of curious, uh, like this is a very small implementation detail, I think, but is it just like a pop-up modal or is it like the alert, like built-in browser alert? It's a modal, so the, the, yeah. the okay. browser alert is yeah, totally not customizable. You can't even think copy-paste from... Uh, from alert windows. The reason why I ask was because I know the alert has that kind of interesting property where it highlights whatever tab the alert's coming from. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you can take that and use it in this pop-up modal just to be, this is the tab, look at me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I'm not sure actually. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we'll figure out over time. It'll just get iterated uh, a little bit and yeah, it'll mm -hmm. be, it's, it'll be, it's always the, you know, the two things will meet in the middle on one hand, the tech will get better and the UI will improve. And on the other hand, people will also get more familiar with these concepts and how it works. And then before too long, it'll it'll just be it'll just be standard. Everybody just know exactly how it works. As well, once we've got, a, like, mostly it's with, Cash and I will talk about it in a second, but like with the mobile wallets as well too, there's a ton that we can do there that you just, you know, scan a QR code and it just all pops up in your face and just, yeah, lots, lots to be improved on there. Okay, got to check in with the price this week. USD $240.17 for one BCH, which is flat. Uh, one BDC buys 174.1 BCH, also pretty flat. And one ETH buys only 9.4 BCH. We've improved on the ratio there. It's funny you talk about when we were talking before the last cash tokens upgrade i'm pretty sure in usd i'm pretty sure we've come a long way it was probably like mm -hmm. what like 100 130 max at that time maybe mm -hmm. maybe even less so how have you been enjoying the market over the the last year and do you think that the cash tokens upgrade has directly played into that yeah so i, I remember uh last podcast I, when i was on the other time uh, we talked about will cash tokens uh cause a like a pump in the bch price and we said yeah Probably not, but it it would be nice. Uh, and and of, I think the uh, day itself was quite uneventful. But then a, a month or so later, or maybe a few weeks only, uh, there was suddenly a huge almost uh, increase with 3x. Yeah, so, so that was definitely un unexpected. But I also think it was unrelated. It was probably more uh, had to do with exchange shenanigans or something like that with uh, people shorting and then uh, the shorts getting liquidated. Uh, when there's too much buying pressure because otherwise it's not normal to see these uh huge spikes uh 
And I think many people prefer a, a, li- a little bit more steady price growth, so it's at least organic. But yeah, we got what we got, so a huge sudden price increase. If you were holding, uh, congratulations. But otherwise, yeah, it, it's it's a bit weird. Yeah, I think it's more of a long tail type of thing. We just need a way as as the infrastructure and ecosystem builds up. It's one of those things. It's like the payoff comes in some cases all at once for work that had been exponentially building over a long period of time, right? Like the uh, price pumps that we get in 2025 will probably be a result of the cash tokens work that started in 2021 and just carried along and along and then wallets got better and UI got better and apps got better and blah, blah, blah. And then it hits a critical critical mass, right? When everybody kind of gets, gets involved, I feel like. So maybe that's a good way to start talking about history we were talking before the show about historiography what's the difference between history and historiography so according to google uh brave definitions historiography noun one the principles theories or methodology of scholarly historical research and presentation now i bring this up because that's what i'm doing on the show on Bitcoin Cash podcast, and it says on the website, one of the goals is to provide a bit of a historical record of what has happened in Bitcoin Cash. And you're doing the same thing. And you've written a yearly series of articles on read.cash from 2018 to 2023, except for 2021, reviewing the year in Bitcoin Cash every year of what happened, what were the most notable things and some projects launching and community controversies and all that stuff. So talk to us a little bit about this series. How did it how did it get started and why is it continued? Yeah, so the, the main reason why it uh, got started was because because I saw an opportunity to do something cool and interesting that nobody else was really doing. So yeah, my way to document um, everything that was going on also during the more uh, contentious times like the uh, and luckily that's not uh, that's, uh, the recent years have, have been much more calm. But uh, with the, for example, with the ABC split, which led to eCash, uh, there was a, a lot of uncertainty and things were changing seemingly uh, by the week with, uh, with new information coming out. And and the uncertainty during those times is very high. So it, uh, I think it's quite quickly forgotten also, which is good. But also if you want to reflect back, then it's, uh, it gets harder to put you uh, back in the shoes of those times because now it's evident what happened. But back then, it certainly was not uh, clear what would happen. And also there was this, in that specific case, there was the issue with replay protection and people not understanding how if you do a transaction on BCH, it would actually be, could be replayed on eCash. So you could actually accidentally transfer the coins uh, of the other side of the split. So yeah, just things like that. I try to, um, for the historical records, document them and just also it's interesting if people don't have a lot of time to catch up just read the article at the end of the year yeah and they're back up to speed and they at least know what uh in big lines uh what happens so what happened in 2021 why do you miss that year yeah i think it's mainly due to uh covid so uh, personal circumstances uh it would not be that hard to to write the article call still if i dig up the the relevant uh facts and and things that happened um yeah i think i uh, yeah there was just not super much enthusiasm on my side and with yeah covid uh yeah just the the world in general it seemed like 
uh, Bitcoin Cash wasn't at the forefront, so uh, yeah, I need to backfill to have a complete record. I should definitely backfill that that one year. But you should, uh, people should check out the other years. Um, yeah, they're yeah, really and, good. And then I will definitely fill in the missing year if if yeah, there's if people are a lot of asking. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened to all these other years? So what's your process with writing it? Do you make notes throughout the year as to key things to happen that reflect on? Or do you just get to the end of the year and then sit down and kind of reflect yourself on what happened? Or do you refer to other materials somehow? How do you how do you make this all come together? Yeah, so I have the advantage that I am pretty active both on, on, on social media, so both on Twitter on X and on Reddit. Um, so when there's news, I usually try to read related to Bitcoin Cash and I try to retweet it or I post it on Reddit. So this forms like a, in broad lines already an outline. And then I, I try to think yeah, which projects are just missing. Maybe I have some yeah some blind spots. So which project did I not talk about? And then maybe I think, oh, uh, general protocols, they, they do things besides BCH pool. Maybe I should look up what their highlights were uh, on their blog or something like that. And uh, and yeah, and then I try to backfill with the timeline. So I try to do it more or less uh, with the time going for, yeah, chronologically. Yes. Um, but of course, you, you want to group uh, teams together. So uh, one, one section is about the more Wallet Connect related things, for example, or another is about the uh, NFT projects and the tooling uh, for that part. So it's not, uh, the goal isn't to be exactly chronological, but at least give, uh, for example, with the year of cash tokens, give in broad lines, what happened quite uh, early after the upgrade, then a few months later, and then at the end of the year. So. How long does it take to do this entire, this entire process? Is it like you can get it all done in a day or does it take you a couple of weeks to... So I went about it a bit differently than the other ones because this one was longer. Also, uh, maybe because this, uh, I think this year a lot happened or in 2023, a lot happened. Um, and, and I try to break it up with screenshots. So it's a bit more visual. So if you scroll through it, you can just quickly glance the uh, big, big picture overview without having to read uh, all the pages because it, I think it would be something like eight or nine pages the whole document. So it took me um, over, it was over multiple days, I think uh, a week, just uh, every evening or uh, in the afternoon that I would, uh, yeah, first in bullet points, say what the, the biggest events of each month or months were, uh, and then try to form some kind of negative or um, yeah, make, make an interesting, make some kind of story out of it because just the effects with dates are, are not interesting to anyone. So. Yeah, that's a bit of the, the process that goes on behind the scenes. Well, it's really interesting, I think, because it's something that Bitcoin Cash Orders has mentioned that it's really important for a community to have a story, right? Because over time, new things happen and old things sort of get forgotten because the human mind only has so much brain space, right? So you sort of need to compress the past without losing the lessons that were learned from any problems or issues or even what went well along the way, right? So for instance, within the BSV split or the eCash split or the BTC split, all three of those splits, if you dig into the details, you could get into who said what to who and what kind of happened here and there and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, the back and forth, the changes in momentum and 
you could write a whole book about any of those things easily. But the key points that it sort of gets condensed down to was one side thought this, the other side thought this, the main contention was this, things got to a point where people didn't agree, there was a split, these guys got a bit salty because they lost the ticker and whatever, and like the the way they fucked up and the reason they lost was because of this or that, right? And you kind of need to break it down to that level of resolution so that then we can have, and then what happened with cash tokens and what happened with the CoinFlex disaster and all those things, right? So do you think much about that? Like you're saying the 2023 article was longer than before. Are the articles just going to get longer year after year as the community accelerates or will you need to find ways to just batch things down somehow? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, yeah, I think I think it will always be patched down uh, once enough stuff happens because there's only so much one person can keep track of and also uh yeah it's just not possible if a tunnel is happening to cover everything uh, and it's also meant to be a blog post so uh, that people can read in one sitting so not intended to be a a book but yeah the the goal is indeed if uh, afterwards someone wants to write a book or something like it an ebook maybe something a bit shorter that this is a, a great resource that they can use or even uh, in a few years if, uh if the momentum is, is a lot bigger and people wonder about the early days of, of Bitcoin Cash, yeah, I might uh, bundle them in some kind of ebook. So that's definitely uh, a possibility uh, that's that's in my mind. So, yeah, and I think it's really important because so much of like you writing these blog posts or me doing this show or whatever, it's the fact that it's contemporary is just so critical because. People will always, in hindsight, like you say, oh, it was obvious that X, Y, or Z happened. But when you go back and look at what was written or discussed at the time, suddenly it's like a completely different view. It's like they didn't they didn't know about whatever the future. So there might have been a lot more doubt about something you expected. Or maybe everybody made an assumption about something that seemed obvious then, which in the future blew up and turned <laughs> into a big issue, right? Like mm-hmm. the FTX collapse, I think is also just a c- complete classic of that, right? Crypto has always been full of scams and exchange hacks and blah, blah, blah. So everybody kind of had that background. But nevertheless, still, before the exchange uh, blow up with FTX, everybody was like, no, no, this time we've got it right. These guys are really <laughs> this time is different. well capitalized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody was so eager to kind of believe that or... I don't know. Just everyone got got full with the the whole Sam Altman thing. It was, it was, not Sam Altman. What's his name? <laughs> Sam Bankman uh, Fried. Yeah, the Anyway, yeah. Uh, just in hindsight, I think you know. And then everybody writes these big articles afterwards, like how everyone should have known this. And it's like, yeah, well, people are mad when it comes to crowds so nobody knew or nobody uh really yeah and out. there's always a few people who do one in in advance right even i i remember this vividly because it was when when i uh kind of joined cryptocurrency in 2017 and the uh how is it called uh bitconnect 
Bitconnect. Yes, Bitconnect. Uh, and it was one of the, yeah, it, at one point, it was one of the top 10 coins. So I was really like, okay, if this scam, because I, I followed some people, of course, who were calling it out. So if this scam can be uh, that big, then I really need to watch uh, what I get interested in. And I really need to do my research because it seems like uh, there's so many people who just, I uh, guess, get misled or just, uh, yeah, blinded by, by the idea of profits, like greed. Um, yeah, I, I still, I still am amazed that, like, uh, only a small number of people, or like, relatively small number of people, called it out, and it could grow so big. But yeah, that's a bit the same what happened with uh, FTX. One of my favorite yeah. clips came out of that time, though. I unfortunately cannot remember the guy's name, um, but he was like, I think he was the largest crypto influencer at the time. It was right before all these po- podcasts started coming out, um, and he's sitting in his car, and he's like, "Look." You haven't lost your money. All right. Maybe you lost your money. Listen up. You didn't lose your money. Now, you you have your... Technically, you kind of lost your money. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. I'll throw it in in the edit if I can. That yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that one. I don't, I don't know that one. But that's the thing. It's funny. And the same with like BitConnect, right? It has become, because it was just so meme, meme worthy in hindsight, again, like you said, maybe not at the time, but now that gets reposted all the time. That's so much a part of the broader crypto culture, right? Of all the different hacks and scams and so forth. Like nowadays, Mount Gox is like some historical thing that a lot of new people, they either don't know about that or they've only just heard heard that mentioned. They don't kind of really understand the context of it. But BitConnect, they know BitConnect. And now it's mm-hmm. FTX. And probably in five years, it will be FTX will be the thing that everybody's like, yeah, FTX, everybody will have forgotten about BitConnect or that will be an mm-hmm. old meme that only, you know, the, the OGs or the boomers or whatever <laughs> were interested in, right? So I guess history is always moving forward in that sense and things that are relevant at the time really yeah they really change change a lot as as things go on but so i just yeah. think it's important you know yeah and one more thing uh because i know you commented two years in a row now on uh on the year in review and you added yeah. some some points like some very good points and i remember last year i was uh talking about the, the cash tokens upgrade that so not uh, last year sorry two years ago now uh, about the cash tokens upgrade that would be uh, coming and the research that happened. So it, it talked a lot about the uh, pro- the network upgrade, the, the Bitcoin Cash Protocol upgrade. Um, for example, with the, the multiplication uh, and the 64-bit integers, so more technical developer stuff that's uh, relevant for smart contract developers. And and at the time, it yeah, it wasn't that relevant maybe because if, if you're just a normal user in a community, you wouldn't spend as much time thinking about that as a smart contract developer but i think in the in the long run it, it proved to be like essential uh, building blocks for to enable what we currently see uh with the uh, starting DeFi stuff and uh smart contract uh contracts and applications yeah i mean the bitcoin cash community is honestly very smart about that and except for basically slp tokens which i never liked i've been on record saying that a bunch of times and then that kind of didn't work out on and I guess maybe smart smart BCH as well too. Like we do fuck up along the way. I'm not saying not saying we do it perfectly, but in general, the BCH community is fairly good about thinking in the big 
picture, right? As like, well, we, we get the sort of knock-on effect of we've got to get this step right so we can get the next step and the next step. And things aren't just done as like the hype thing of this week, really, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the biggest challenge now, I would say, go, going forward, is that we can do like a cool DeFi stuff, uh, non-custodial NFT marketplaces, uh, AMM DEXs like uh, Calderon, uh, NFT Mints with the tooling out there, and nowadays, a, a, a over-collateralized stable coin in the works. Um, so yeah, a, a bunch of cool things and DeFi protocols are all possible. Um, so now it's really a matter of getting the it into the hands of the users and having enough users to build uh, momentum and profitable uh, use cases. Because if there's uh, if there's no if there's no not many users, it's it's hard for the developers also to justify putting all this time and effort into projects uh, on this chain. So um yeah i think it was very smart to think in the, the long run but now i already feel the uh, the long run is here uh, the long so, run is so here <laughs> yeah so we, we spent a lot of time uh, uh, past years doing the network upgrades and so they still of course developers want more uh, capabilities to develop so i'm talking about uh increasing the vm limits and stuff but but the main more importantly i would say is you can do a ton of stuff already right now as a developer so it's very important that we uh that the developers that get started and the applications that get built that they gain some kind of uh, traction and user base and uh, feedback and can improve um and attract some kind of following um more so than only thinking in the, in the long run so I, I think yeah that's also very important yeah, that we see over the coming months and uh, in this year to that that is profitable uh, applications which attract of course developers like we see in ethereum so you need it's a bit chicken and egg of course users want applications uh, and the applications the developers they want users so which should you focus on uh, first so we enabled a ton of new things for the developers uh, and I think now is the time for developers to develop and uh, some of the users, they will just come, but also networks effects is so important. So if the applications don't get any initial momentum, uh, then yeah, developers might just uh, go to Thank another you. chain, I say. Yeah, or, or if you see that a ton of cool stuff gets built on Bitcoin Cash, but if there's no users, then probably you don't want to try to build another cool, popular th- uh, yeah, cool thing because you know it, it will probably not get popular. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the things is you've got Cash and Eyes, which you started, I guess it's probably a little bit, maybe a year and a half old now, maybe mm-hmm. a year old because it was sort of uh, being built in the in the run-up to the Cash Tokens upgrade. And honestly, you've done a fantastic job, not only with the functionality, but the branding has been getting better. The UI has been getting better. It's honestly pretty easy to use for what is such a, a novel thing. I don't know if you have much... UI background or improvement, but that's just been getting better and better. And in at least in my mind, it's really important because if you've done like Cash and Eyes and we've got Celine and obviously the other wallets, because when somebody new comes into the scene, they kind of will build on the foundations of what's already there. So if they come in and there's no good wallets, they're the one who has to go and do the wallets. But if the wallets are already there, then they can make an app. But if the basic apps are already there, like AMMs and Dexas and whatever, then they can do an even cooler app. And so it kind of builds on mm, itself definitely. in that way. So talk to me a bit about what you've been doing with Cash and Eyes and how that's going. Yeah, so Cash and Eyes uh, was also, uh, I was looking around when the, uh, tooling for cash tokens was developed and I didn't see anyone 
who was like uh, excited to start building with it right away on, on Chipnet. Uh, so I thought, yeah, I, I want to uh, get started building with it. So this was in January of last year. Um, and then I got started. So I was lucky that other people had built a lot of tooling already. So software libraries got upgraded, indexes got upgraded. There was this whole testing infrastructure of Chipnet. Uh, but many application developers didn't seem interested or at least uh, weren't publicly talking about it. So I was the, the first. And in the beginning, it was a very proof of concept, minimal. Like it, it worked, but it was really, really shitty. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, over time, I kept using it and kept on iterating. Um, in the beginning, it did not have any metadata for tokens. So then I implemented the metadata standards. And that's also when other developers started to become more interested. Like, oh, that's how you use the BCMR standards. Uh, oh, that's cool. I want, I want to do that as well. Uh, so yeah, I really liked it. Uh, people were looking and encouraging uh, what I was doing. Um, and it has grown a lot in, in scope since. So now it has the, the Wallet Connect features uh, that Pat helped with. So he implemented all the Wallet Connect functionality. And then Jim made his demo about an even improved version, so Cash Connect, uh, which I merged. Um, and now a whole rewrite of the app is happening. So it can be ported to uh, desktop and to mobile. Um, so yeah, the, the roadmap for the, the project has gone from kind of a demo project to then uh, getting external help to, to grow it. and. Uh, and actually getting users. So that was also very important for me. So it's being actively used. I, I keep some very minimal stats, but I know there's around uh, 150 daily uh, unique users. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's, I, I think that's not too bad. Uh, so I'm happy with that. And I definitely want to, to grow it going forward. Uh, so no, yeah, that's, it, that's it, incredible. 150 daily use. I mean, I use Cash and Eyes. I don't necessarily use it every day, but probably every week at least. Uh, and yeah, 150 a day. That's 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 pretty impressive. Tell me a bit more about the rewrite to view. And I guess that was part of, like you said, getting it onto desktop and onto mobile as well too, right? Because repurposing across platforms is a huge gain in sort of outreach and potential from a relatively small amount of work if you're just only maintaining one code base, right? Yeah, so I... Uh... Actually, already half a year ago or so, I, I, I tried the uh, capacitor uh, like tooling to port uh, any website to an, an app. So I think that's similar to what Celine uses because Calisti has helped me with that. And then I got it working on, on my phone. So the uh, it, it worked as an, as an uh, how do you call it, an APK? Uh, progressive web app. Oh, as an APK, okay. It's an installable uh, Android file, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so my Android phone, uh, it worked. Um, but then, yeah, I wanted to do a huge rewrite, and I didn't want to do uh, two code bases. So with the setup I had back then, I would have to maintain uh, two code bases. Uh, and as it's just me, uh, th yeah, that wouldn't be very good in the long run. And I knew that I wanted to rewrite it anyway. So the, the app grew and grew, and people added features. And it came to a point that I wasn't comfortable uh, adding uh, adding new features, like uh, for example, if I wanted to uh, enable users to select their IPFS uh, gateway or something like that, it shouldn't be too difficult. I, I was I was feeling that the code base uh, was a bit overwhelming. Uh, there was two big files, just a, a standard HTML file, which was uh, almost, uh, I think, almost a thousand lines, and then one JavaScript file, which was almost a thousand lines, and then the uh, 
because it was, wasn't using a framework, the JavaScript was saying, okay, get this element of the HTML and manipulate it in this way. Um, so it's a bit convoluted because you don't break it up in components. And now with the view rewrite, it's a bit, it's similar to React. You can break everything up into components and you have the component state, which is clearly separated uh, from the component like uh, logic and interface. Uh, so yeah, th this was a, a huge help and, and proved to be much, much better in terms of functionality because I already uh, added new features to the rewritten app that the normal one does not have yet. Yeah, but the reason I find this as well super interesting is that I've spoken many times on the show before, but it's worth highlighting is the fact that the BCH community doesn't need to be super big for us to be like cutting edge in the industry if we do things in a smart and efficient way, right? So for instance, how many different cryptocurrencies are there that have, let's say, even three really high quality custom wallet apps? Like not many, even a lot of the other ones that are pretty big, like Doge and uh, Litecoin, they just sort of rely on these mm -hmm. multi-coin wallets or different, it's not all getting built from the ground up, right? But in BCH, we haven't had to do, we've, we've got that going, but we can have, and we don't have it yet in terms of Selene being multi-platform, but it is in the vague roadmap that I would like to one day have it be usable on the web, have it usable, downloadable as a desktop app. Obviously we have iOS and Android, right? Uh, so we've got those. And if you're doing that same stuff and it's just all a JavaScript stack, which we then also have like with LibAuth and with CacheScript, as well too it's even just with you know three or four components you can have industry level stuff as long as those things are very 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 high quality and also everybody's aligning on the same tech stack right we don't have somebody who's coming oh, i want to make this different python stuff and they have to reinvent everything over here and somebody wants to do this in rust and somebody blah 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 right then it turns into a bit of a a bit of a mess i wonder are you seeing that same thing as as me that with a relatively there's a lot of hard work but relative to something like the ETH ecosystem or any other open source community there's not all that much in terms of volume in the bch community but it's just at a very very high standard and we're starting to see that pay off in those strong network effects of the high quality tools that we have yeah i think a large part of it is jason Dreisner with LiveOff. yes uh, yeah, because LibAuth is what CacheScript uses and what Main.js uses. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Paytaka uses it and Celine uses it and, and CacheNice uses it. Um, and I think Zapit uses something different, but yeah, it's fair to say that uh, many projects has, have converged on this tooling because it's simply really, really good uh, and powerful and uh, high quality. So yeah, that's all. Uh, characteristics that we want for our uh, for our tech layers that we can reliably re reliably build upon. Yeah, now you've been funding the delivery on Cash and Ice with a flip starter. So you had one that you've done a while ago. And what's the sort of financial state of the of the project? You still got funding for the time being? Are you going to be running another flip starter? Do you not need the money because you've got some other inc income source? What's the status there? Yeah, so in the, the beginning, uh, Cash and Ice was just a minimal viable product and it was not, uh, didn't have any like a funding. 
Uh, and I think in, in November, I la- launched the Flipstarter, so three months ago. Um, and, and I calculated that I could be working on it for uh, almost a year on that budget. So I made a list of features that I wanted to add and the complete rewrite uh, was one of them, one of the big ones. Uh, and also a few key features that w- would come along uh, with the rewrite, like sending all NFTs, uh, which is just a, a handy feature to have and uh, yeah, a few core other ones. Um, so that that's, was kind of the roadmap that I laid out and I, and I projected that, uh, yeah, it would be a little less than a year of work, but the funding would cover it. And it's, it seems that I estimated that pretty well. So, uh, and then we will see again how, how much the, the users have grown and what the feedback uh, is, and also just what, what kind of work needs to be done. So it depends a bit on, uh, on the needs of the application as well as the scope. So I, I can't confidently say it yet because a lot has still uh, needs yeah. to be delivered from the roadmap uh, of last time. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good to me if you're you're sorted with funding until like through October, basically. So it's still another nine months <laughs> in the bank with the runway. Then, uh, yeah, that's 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 perfect. I had no idea what the status of all this stuff because the BCH community has been doing a lot of flip starters, especially into technical projects. The podcast has done a few, but uh, otherwise they're mostly technical projects, and they tend to be done in these sort of big batches that fund things for like a year uh, with often quite a bit of uh coins and then it just kind of like drops off the radar and then it like at some point it just crops up again like oh, we really need another big batch of funding guys yeah i think <laughs> i think the reason for this is also because flipstarter just adds a little bit of overhead so you need to write up the document think it's not always easy to think okay what can i deliver in what amount of time because you haven't implemented it yet so you don't know exactly the the scope of all the features that you are promising um so, yeah so it's it, it requires some overhead that if you just started working on the take right away that you wouldn't have to uh do all this this kind of planning and estimating and uh, of course convincing a bit in your flip starter just laying it out cleanly what you want to accomplish uh, so i think it's good that we don't see like a monthly flip starters from everybody that would be a big mess so i think yearly uh, yeah, it's also something I am aiming for, um, and it, it provides some also a way to reflect. So, okay, what was promised the year before, and did the person deliver? And uh, do we see that he just uh, he has not promised, or like uh, is promising to deliver all the same features again? That you, then you know, okay, that he, he didn't deliver actually. So, um, well, I mean, like you say, there is obviously a lot more overhead cost if. You know, there was more projects doing like month, like you said, the tech projects tend to be a year. The podcast does one every 10 episodes, which is about three months. We do about three three per per episode. Doing a whole year of flip startering at the start might be a bit a bit much in that case because it's kind of a different, more routine type of delivery. But the reason I bring this up is because it sort of seems to me that maybe there is a way and it will depend on someone who's going to have to actually do the work here. But there is maybe we could change that if we had somebody who made a sort of dashboard, a BCH funding dashboard or something that kept track of these major projects, had their flip starters listed, had, you know, when they raised money, when that was kind of going to last until so forth. It would be super interesting if you could go on there and say, okay, all these projects are like in a healthy state. And these ones are going to be coming up because then people could look on that and they could budget themselves and think, oh, okay, 
I've got a bit of spare BCH that I'm willing to throw into the ecosystem. Like I think about that. I think, oh, I've got some spare BCH that I'm going to throw into the ecosystem. What am I going to put it into? And people have talked about with uh, unspent.fi, you know, maybe you could make uh, a few different categories, like you could fund tech or you could fund no devs or you could fund marketing and you just have one ad address that you just sent money into and then it just automatically got split up into a pre-approved list of projects, right? There's a lot that I think we could do there to improve our visibility of the financial health of the ecosystem. And that would that would be just really useful, I, I think, in allocating money to the right the right place. Yeah, I think another thing, uh something yeah for extensions to Flipstarter is just for uh increasing accountability. So there's a uh, some some community projects that uh, promised and got funded but didn't actually uh, do a lot of work to even achieve what they, because not every project can be successful. Like it's hard if you do marketing to measure um, measure what the impact of your marketing is. But then uh, if you promise a certain number of videos, or for example, there was uh, a, a Netflix documentary from Colin Enstadt, who I really uh, like, but he has been totally inactive uh, with BCH, uh, I think, think since 2021. Um, but he, his flip side, he got funded, but the documentary didn't get made. So I think if people just uh, are aware of flip starter projects that still have uh, something outstanding that they could pretty reasonably or like they should put effort in into delivering, then it's uh, also good to just point people to their accountability because in the end, you're giving all the money upfront. So it's good if uh, people have a proven track record, but sometimes even then uh, people think they can get away with uh, not doing the work and just taking the money. And because it's an internet community, I think it's uh, important to have still some accountability uh, to rely on. Yeah, and that's been changing over time in the sense that I feel like the bar has been going up for people's flip starter pitches that funders are more skeptical and need more proof of work and more sort of accountability and stuff over time. I think that's trending in the right direction. But I think we can do much better in terms of tracking that and presenting that. It's an idea that's been said several times. And I think, like, for instance, on Beach House, Saeed has his tab where he has different flip start. That's the right idea. It hasn't all, like, nobody has made it their mission to just sit down and just fix this problem. But that's a huge opportunity in the community for, for somebody who is passionate about it because yeah i can just see it in my mind already the dashboard that had you know last six months these proposals all funded with these teams links to what's going on with them here's their timeline and then like upcoming projects that are going to sort of refresh soon and then latest pitches and you could have a section for people who were new into the community and wanted to get started maybe they were just doing a small flip starter to try and build some reputation and you could document who'd done what like yeah, it would be. I'm sure we'll get something like that eventually. <laughs> I'll make it if nobody else does. But just there's only so many problems you can fight at once, right? I think it might have been mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, I'm just throwing the idea out there if it hasn't. What about, you know, something where the money that's going to the Flipstarter gets essentially locked up and uh, each deliverable has a portion of those locked funds. When someone says, I've given my, I've delivered the deliverable, then the donators go, yes, this is delivered or not. If after a certain amount of time it hasn't been delivered, that 
uh, deliverable. Gets refunded. refunded. Yeah, it gets refunded. I would love to see something like that. That would be amazing. And it's so obviously doable with cash tokens. You know, it would be like everybody pays into the Flipstarter. Everybody gets, you know, five deliverable tokens for their contribution or whatever. And then at each stage, it's like the the person needs to get, you know, three or four tokens sent in to, to unlock the next stage, which gives them another batch of money. And if at some point the funders sort of revolt and are like, <laughs> you're not living up to it, you know, they can all like burn their tokens or send it to a, a provable address that's like they're not delivering and then it uh, cashes them back out. Like, yeah, there's so much that can be that can be done with that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a huge opportunity for somebody it's interesting. Anybody in the community can do that as well. Too. I mean, it would help if you were a developer, but you don't need to be. You could team up with with somebody, but if you had the vision and the accountability to actually like flip hub, it's the perfect name for it because there's GitHub. And if you had flip hub, mm-hmm. it'd be amazing. Expo in the chat uh, popping off with the suggestion. He's 100% uh, the okay. way we learned in Cosmos. That's the best way to do it. Do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I look forward. I look forward to seeing flip hub. Uh, MVP startup. Right. So that's not the only project you've been on, Matthew. You're a busy guy. You've also wanted to chat a little bit about the Reapers and also Cash Ninjas as well to the NFT projects that you've been involved in. I guess that's an, an example of the Cash Tokens infrastructure at work and rapidly improving. We talked to Itachu and Josh on the show as well about the Ninjas. But when it comes to the Reapers and Ninjas, what's the latest there? Yeah, so we're uh, still aiming to to make yeah for our progress that we set uh, the roadmap and that we set out on the beginning. So we're making steady progress on that. And also just with the, the flip starter, uh, one thing I would like to contrast is so for for the cash ninjas, uh, we built a lot of tooling, uh, open source tooling, but we decided not to do uh, a flip starter or try to do it in more of an entrepreneurial way where we actually just made a collection ourselves. And I think it's important that Flipstarter doesn't become the uh, only way for people to uh, get funded to work on BCH stuff, but that there's only uh, also uh, an entrepreneurial uh, spirit. So people just try to come up with projects. And for example, this then was an NFT collection where we uh, open sourced all the tooling for other projects. And we know that there's currently two in the works, which are using our uh, NFT tooling to make cash tokens collections. So uh, they will probably announce it themselves in the coming months. So it's cool to see our tooling being used, but also uh, not everything needs to be a flip starter. Uh, and uh, for example, Paytaka did the, the bit cuts and with the uh, Cash Ninjas, we did uh, uh, NFTs also to uh, finance our work on, on the tooling. So the, there doesn't always need to be a hard line. And some sometimes um, just supporting a project like the Cash Ninjas or the BitCuts can be a way of... Uh, of supporting development. Uh, so I think also that's an important point to make that we don't want the culture where everybody tries to do just flip starters and uh, because the, there's only so much, of course, uh, funders and pledgers uh, for these flip starters. You also want the culture where there's actually profitable businesses because these will be uh, sustainable on the long term. Businesses with users who can, uh, yeah, who can grow in scope and deliver on uh, on projects. And they also are very accountable, of course, to those users and uh, to actually make them happy and uh, retain the same profits. Um, so yeah, that's something that we had as, as a uh, important 
value when starting the Cash Ninjas project. And we wanted to help as much as possible. So we did the tooling, which is our open source. And we also want to bootstrap the cash tokens ecosystem. So we said uh, we can kill two birds with one stone, I think uh, the expression goes. So you have a lot of SBCH users who were um, angry and disenfranchised or uh, disappointed that their uh, NFTs, in this case, the Reapers, the previous project of Itashu and Josh, uh, that they were kind of uh, useless or on a dead chain, they were stuck. So we said, okay, we can make a bridge and we can make the existing holders happy because they can transition in a one way from the SBCH, a kind of dead chain now with no ecosystem to cash tokens. And then for the cash tokens ecosystem, this will be great because there's a bunch of new users who might otherwise not have uh, jumped in because SBCH and uh, Bitcoin Cash, although they are related, the communities were very different. So uh, this way we help both kind of the cash tokens ecosystem with new users who are uh, excited they got a free uh, or they ported over NFT and they might try out TopSwap or they might uh, to sell them or buy more or just uh, check out the Cash Ninjas, for example. And then, uh, of course, the, the Reapers holders, they, they are happy because, uh, yeah, they, they got their Reapers in a usable state again. So I think both ecosystems would benefit from this. And of course, we want to open source also the tools we do and uh, we make for this bridge, this one-way bridge. Uh, so that's that's on our roadmap currently. And I, I can't give an exact date because the developing the bridge has been a bit more difficult than we initially planned. But yeah, we're definitely planning uh, on, on making it or on finishing it uh, rather soon. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great to hear. And I yeah, want to reinforce, I guess you're right that the flip start is not the only uh, way that it's one good tool to have, but it's not the only thing we need, like Bliss, for instance, you know, we've got some sponsors in the background and then we have the ticket sales as well too and various other things. There's no Bliss flip starter. So it's it's important that the ecosystem has a variety of different yeah, financial methods uh, and each will sort of serve a, serve a different niche. But it's great to hear that we're keeping keeping the community momentum rolling you know from that well are there many other projects on smart bch even left that need to migrate like when you talk about making this bridge and open sourcing it couldn't you even just do it manually couldn't you just say here's the telegram write in you know burn your token we'll mint with new cash tokens and maybe it would be a bit of a hassle while you were doing it but you only need to do it yeah, so the, then. yeah the bridge is essentially that in an automated way so that people can burn for example, 100 NFTs at once, and that they can get automatically minted on the uh, other side. And so it won't be SBCH specific. The tool would work for any EVM chain that wants to migrate to cash tokens. Wow. Uh, but the bridge is one way. So that's also important. Yeah, We're so, letting you in, but not out, guys. We've made yeah, this, exactly. uh, one way door. We've made it come in, come in. It's very well for you to come <laughs> to in. Come. You cannot leave. <laughs> it's locked. The prison door locked behind you. Cash tokens. <laughs> yeah, other people are free, of course, to, to try and develop two-way bridges, but it's also more complex. So uh, and, and for our use case with the Reapers, we just need a, a one-way bridge. So uh, that's what we're working on. And any EVM chain, that's I hadn't I hadn't put that together actually so that's that sounds great then because as bch grows in prominence you'll have people from all of these other scenes like ETH or i don't know whatever any other avalanche whatever that are kind of like wow you know cash tokens is kicking off let's get us a bit involved 
And that's that's a pretty strong pitch to them. If you can say not only is it we've got our own tooling and things are going great, but we've already built you some migration tools. So if you want to be involved, then you're not starting, you know, everything again over from zero. That's very, very cool. I yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. For for SBCH specifically, it's true that there's not too many uh, projects waiting anymore to transition to uh, cash tokens because a whole bunch already transitioned to did already transition. For example, to Doge Chain, apparently that was uh, in community somewhat related to Smart Bitcoin Cash. So uh, I, I I haven't investigated it at all, but many NFT projects are now um, on Smart BCH have gone multi-chain, so both to Avax or to uh, these other lesser known uh, EVM chains. So uh, th this way you can also see that there's a bit of a, a, a divide in the community, but also that the ecosystems are pretty fragile. Just like with SLP, there weren't too many uh, projects jumping to migrate to cash tokens still because uh, many with all the uh, infrastructure winding down, many S uh, SLP projects didn't make it until the cash tokens actually arrived, um, which I think yeah. is unfortunate. But No, it is. It's an interesting point though which is that once you get momentum going you, you kind of you kind of need to keep it going and that's where it comes to like you said in the past if you get the foundation right then you're in such a strong position for things to continue but if it's a bit shaky there and things kind of slow down a little bit then time moves on people are busy and boom there's in crypto you're competing with so many other chains they're not hanging around so if you're not uh, keeping pace with the competition, if things are sort of stagnating, bam, that's it. The activity just leaves. And maybe if you don't have a Titanic network effect, it's just not coming back, right? Yeah. Yeah, super, super interesting thing for us to you know learn <laughs> as uh, the crypto ecosystem uh, develops. I wonder if over time things will become more fragmented and there'll be less switching or whether it will become just more people will make bridges and things will become more fluid. Maybe users will become more tolerant to the backends switching out while because their interface with a project might just be the project people in Telegram or whatever. And as long as that's the same, then maybe they don't care, right? It's quite, yeah, quite interesting. Okay, you talked it. Oh, go on. One last thing I would also love to see is an uh, ordinals bridge. Like if we can convince some... Uh, of the disenfranchised BTC people to come to uh, BCH and try out cash tokens. So I think an, a bridge, a one-way bridge, hopefully, with ordinals on BTC, uh, that could be really interesting. So that's uh, yeah. one thing that's on my mind. If if there would be like, of course, you need the projects first, and uh, but if, if we catch on and there's demand, that would be definitely super interesting. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, well, and especially seeing as a lot of the, the ordinal stuff is built by like XBSV, migrants it would be kind of full circle if they then thought oh let's get back into bch so there would be a, yeah. need to be a pretty strong sales pitch there but follow the money I, I kind of feel like if our ecosystem is kicking off if the price is rising if the hype is there somebody will do it right so in october you gave this talk at the xcc uh, meetup ecc i guess uh, 2023 mm -hmm. And you talked about the future of cash tokens at that time. This was a few months ago. Contract templates, cash script libraries, SBCH and SLP token bridging, like we were just talking about, and mm -hmm. catching up to ETH tooling docs and tutorials. How are we doing 
on those things so far, do you think? And what about the next nine months? What do you expect to see from the cash tokens ecosystem? Yeah, so on the first point with the contract templates, we made uh, more a lot more progress than uh, I uh, anticipated because uh, James Cash Connect was so good and got merged and then uh, the BCH Guru platform already uh, using it for their beta. So for the contract templates, uh, it's actually looking surprisingly good and other wallets are also interested uh, in, in using this uh, contract templates. But then it jumps to the to the last point already, the tooling, documentation, and tutorials. So I, uh, currently for the, the Cash Connect, because it's in pre-alpha, there is no good tooling yet, no documentation, and uh, no tutorials. So uh, I think that those two are somewhat related because they are the most... Uh, interfacing with the users, like we talked about before, the two tabs. So, so these uh, two things are kind of related in my mind: the contract templates, so that users know uh, that they can actually read the template before they press sign. So, this would be a great achievement if we can uh, get to that point. So, that also requires some education. Uh, and then the the cash script stuff. Yeah, we're working on the, uh, Roscoe and I are working on it. Uh, so it, it will be uh, still uh, out a bit further because currently we are prioritizing the debugging tools, uh, which we have found is actually very, very important uh, because as soon as people start writing smart contracts, they run into uh, bugs or things that don't work. So they want to uh, debug, but the debug tools were, uh, to, to say it plainly, were very bad. Uh, so, so we're improving those first. Um, and then Pats from Manager.js has helped us a ton with that. So he gave us the head start by doing the hard work. And now we're uh, finishing up uh, and making sure uh, it works in all cases. So just doing some polishing. Uh, so that's the state of CashScript. And then the bridging, yeah, that's uh, mainly what the, the Reapers is about. So we hope if the Reapers bridge uh, is a success, then uh, maybe it can be used by others. But if, if it... Uh, if it doesn't go, uh, go as well as hoped, then maybe bridging won't be as important. So I think we can kind of uh, try it out and see, and then others will uh, learn from our attempt. And as for the next nine months, what do you think we're going to see? So we're doing okay on contract templates, the tooling is catching up and so forth. Do you think we're going to get onto even more advanced stuff? Like for me, Prediction markets is a huge one that is just wide open for anyone to do. But because it's kind of a several layers deep, you already need the wallets there. You already need the infrastructure there. You already need a fair amount of documentation. You probably already need like cauldron and stuff so that you have, uh, you know, swapping infrastructure there or other stuff like what what do you see in the next nine months or so of or maybe the rest of 2024 in terms of the cash tokens ecosystem yeah so i think prediction markets will still be off for uh, a few more years uh unfortunately but because it also takes i think it would take a team especially if you want to do it as a side chain because then you need uh validators again you essentially need to make full notes uh and a bridging system so the the, the barrier to entry is very high. Um, but with things that we can see over the, the coming year, I think one thing uh, that might be very important is with the upcoming DeFi we see, first we see the NFT marketplace, then the AMM DEXs. What we haven't seen really uh, yet is uh, ways to earn yield. And I think that's super important 
if we look at the Ethereum ecosystem, people really want their coins to uh, give them some yield yeah, so they can earn in a more passive way that they can just select which DeFi uh, protocol or project that they trust, uh, provide some liquidity, and that th this liquidity gets used in some way. Maybe it's the, uh, providing liquidity for a swap, or maybe it's the collateral for a stable coin, or maybe it's even uh, something else entirely. But I think uh, this this could get the big money involved, whereas now with TopSwap and Coldron, I, I feel that the total value locked is very tiny. So I think Coldron, if you only count the BCH, there's like a 15k USD, uh, which is yeah, which is good for a, a, a starting uh, starting ecosystem, but uh, it's still very tiny. And the same for TopSwap. So if you would compare TopSwap to OpenSea or something like that, you see the volume is is very tiny. Um, but I think with with kind of yield protocols, um, you will see much bigger amounts of BCH being involved if they work, of course, at scale. So if there's enough demand for the liquidity pairs or for uh, the stable coin, then you can see people locking up large amounts of money. And of course, the trust will have to grow the templates. So it's a bit related with the Wallet Connect stuff and the contract templates. But if, if they prove to be mature and there are not too many uh, like rugs and scams and uh, hacks and bugs, things like that. So if, if we prove that we can build some mature um, projects and apps for users, then I, I think DeFi and the concept of yield will become uh, popular in the next year. Okay, all right, cool. And you think we're sort of on the right track for that? We just need to, like you say, maintain a high community awareness that as long as we don't screw things up with people getting a load of people getting burnt one way or another, then then that's that's fine. Like we don't need to make any sort of change in attitude. We just need to keep, keep doing things the way we're doing from your point of view. Um. Well, yeah, one thing I feel we're kind of missing in a big way is still a hype. So if, if I just look up on X or Twitter in the search bar, just cash tokens or on YouTube, you see that there's not too much uh, content, too, not too many people talking about it yet. So I think this will be really a grassroots effort. And I also, I want to do a bit more in the, in the coming year to uh, to start a discussion and, and garner, uh, like uh, encourage the interest of people. Um, so I think that's a thing we need to work on just as a community, that we encourage the existing projects and, and builders and just sh share some excitement because sharing excitement is free, but it, it attracts new people. So uh, just being positive and enthusiastic about stuff uh, is, is a good vibe and it's also what uh, other people want to join. Yeah, so speaking of that, we've got community comment of the week, possibly the best community comment i think we have ever had on this show it comes from david shattuck who is the fifth of gaming creator and we had on episode 94 from memory anyway he visited saint kitts and he his thread here he said i heard there was a lot of vendors on saint kitts accepting bitcoin cash for payments so i popped in to see for myself a thread of my bch adventures today and he's got photo of him he's wearing a nice bitcoin cash uh wizards shirt from helpme.cash and a cowboy hat looking like a baller he's there with his <laughs> fiance who looks like she's having a pretty good time too and they found this local rum tasting uh bitcoin cash accepted here sign at the port in st kitts but he made this thread uh which got twenty-two thousand views on x got shared around 
a bunch. It's an amazing thread as he just walks around. He bought all kinds of stuff. He bought um, shot glasses. He bought rum and wine. He bought souvenirs and T-shirts. He got food. And then at the end, he got his girl a emerald uh, necklace as well, too. And he's got videos of him paying at all the terminals and talking to the shop owners and like it really just comes through in the way he wrote. So he wrote, um, he wrote, I was expecting to be driving all over the island, following leads and asking for directions to these alleged vendors, but they were everywhere. Even the local KFC had a BCH sticker on it. Now, let's be fair here. At least half of these places with stickers and signs told me they don't actually accept BCH anymore. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to check the KFC. I just snapped the pick on the way by. But let's be fair in the other direction too. It was trivially easy to find vendors who are accepting it for payments. My goal on the island today was to find as many of those vendors as possible and buy stuff from them. And then he's got he was onboarding people to Celine. And just this is just so hype. When I saw it, I was like, this is exactly it. This is us succeeding at the P2P Cash Admission. And it was just so interesting that he had heard, you know, people saying in St. Kitts, there's lots of adoption and stuff. And then he got there, obviously, with his expectations, you know, fairly moderated and was like, wow, it is actually kicking off. It's it's real, uh, which was just so good. It brought such a big smile to my face. So huge shout out to uh, David. And I think this is the kind of thing, right, that adds that hype and interest. This got reshared by loads of people, not just in the BCH community, but even other crypto communities were impressed by this, right? Yeah, I need to check out the filter. So uh, loving the vibe, but I haven't. Uh, yeah, I will have to see for my myself what the all the pictures look like, because it sounds uh, lovely, like the rum, shot glasses, lunch. Uh, yeah, and you, have, you haven't been to St. Kitts, right? No, you I weren't. You, you weren't there for the BCH nope. 22. So yeah, wish I was. Yeah. I <laughs> well, that's it. Now you're correcting that by showing up to Bliss, right? But it's just funny because this kind of thing, when you when you see it, I mean, I even know. I've even I've been there myself and seen it, so it didn't catch me off guard in that way. But just the fact that he was so enthusiastic and so happy in documenting it, just like that passion was just oozing out of this entire thing, and I think it really does impress people when it's real you know crypto has so much hype and yeah we're going to be the economy of the future but it's ultimately just a few people running these like scams from their laptops or whatever once it's actually like wow we have merchant adoption people are transacting peer-to-peer -peer. it's all non-custodial it all just works even the people who are involved who don't really know what's going on you can just show them and in two minutes that it's it's working right I just, yeah, I just loved everything about this. And uh, obviously, uh, in the future, once we can get this going at multiple places around the world, I can just see it like this just blows away any argument from any other crypto. Uh, but what about the, any argument? It's like, just look at the proof. The proof is in the pudding right there, you know. Hopefully we can do, Bliss will not be exactly the, the same necessarily because it's not that concentrated uh, merchant adoption like St. Kids. But at the very least, I'm hoping, you know, once we get everybody together, you can still do a lot of peer-to-peer -peer transacting and finding some local merchants and stuff. Um, yeah, anyway, that was just amazing. Yeah, looking you forward to it. I will bring my BCH. <laughs> now, we're building, now we're building hype. Okay, a couple other bits of news that we can just quickly uh, touch on. 
Uh, Celine Wallet has finally shipped its uh, major update that uh, Khaleesi and I have been promising for a long time. Finally got that out. There has been some users who've had some uh, minor issues here and there, nothing we haven't been able to sort out. If you have those, obviously you can come in the Telegram and talk to us about it. But in most cases, if you just uh, make sure you have your wallet seed, you uninstall, reinstall and re-import, then that's fine. Make sure to use the additional options tab and pick the 00, zero derivation path if you've got an older Selene wallet because we have updated uh, onto the new derivation path, but we just got to fix that now so that when we have 3 million users, uh, we don't have the same problem. Um, CNBC uh, put out a video called How Bitcoin Lost by Winning, which got 66,000 YouTube uh, views and loads more in other places talking about how Bitcoin BTC has been captured essentially and that it's not really a viable currency and just wall street has now got them with the etfs and stuff so it's fascinating to see what the bth community has been saying forever has now just become the mainstream perception of bdc mm -hmm. and finally john de fukeball the electron cash maintainer popped up on reddit to announce that reusable payment addresses so you could just have one qr code and every time it would just generate fresh addresses to preserve everyone's privacy and also make the ui much easier for having different addresses is now back sort of on the menu and he's working on that which has been kind of under wraps or just dormant for quite a long time so from these news stories what do you what do you make of these anything you want to say about any of this yeah i missed general fugball's uh, announcements uh and and i also need to check out the cnbc I, i've seen it uh seen it come on my feed but i uh, didn't take the time so can, can you do, maybe do a quick uh summary so just uh well I, I yeah i don't i didn't even watch uh, the whole thing myself honestly what i watched was b cashy made an amazing like one minute cut down it's a yeah it's a oh. 10 minute uh thing where, but basically they're, they're just saying it's this lady as well Deirdre I think her name is who's the presenter and she's wearing a green uh dress <laughs> which I think is pr probably coincidental but it's just kind of is nice for the BCH community and she's just sitting at their desk because there's been so much hype about the ETFs right and oh Bitcoin is finally here and it's grown up but the whole tone of her piece is like even though the BTC community are celebrating Bitcoin has lost the way. It's no longer the original vision of a decentralized currency that is traded among people. It was supposed to be fighting, changing the system, you know, but instead it's been absorbed into it. And she just says a lot of that stuff. And then Bcashy made an edit of that uh, with some really like ominous music to it as well, too, which is just uh, super cool. So the, but it's just such a watershed thing because. It's like for a long time, the narrative has now turned against the BTC people themselves, right? Is that they were trying to be like, yeah, we're kind of a peer-to-peer -peer currency and blah, blah, blah. But Lightning Network and all that stuff, it's it hasn't worked and the world has moved on, right? You only have so long if you're trying to say something for it to come true. Otherwise, the rest of the world just goes, what are you doing? And like nobody in the BCH community is involved in this uh, CNBC report, but it's exactly what we've been saying the whole time. And that's just yeah. now become mainstream, right? Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, and and to expand on the on this point, I, I also think uh, we see this with uh, Lightning. So uh, as you talked on the other podcast episodes, more and more people, even in BTC, acknowledge that Lightning uh, hasn't worked out at all. Uh, so yeah, if you got the truth on your side, that's always in the long run uh, something yeah people can notice or at least they will acknowledge the same points that you made years ago. So. Uh, Yes, lies have speed, but truth has endurance. That's uh, oh, right. said that said that in uh, somebody said that in one of the comments. Uh, I think it was Queen Ofuku, but maybe somebody else said that in one of the comments of the Bitcoin Cash podcast videos. And I think that's now that's now becoming just a bit of a phrase that I keep going back to. Lies have speed, but truth has endurance. So speaking of that, uh, obviously I've been trying not to do too much drama and shitting on the BDC people. And so it's not really necessary at this point. Like you say, reality is falling apart, but we just had an outrageously egregious example from this week that I wanted to get on the show because for anybody new to the Bitcoin Cash community or anybody looking back in history, like we talked about before, it's so critical to understand how much rewriting of the truth happens by the people who are on the wrong side of it right so this is a clip here of pete rizzo who is this supposed uh documenting bitcoin journalist on the btc side and he was on what bitcoin did peter mccormack's podcast and he's just uh, we've got a little three and a half minute clip here of him giving a bit of a retrospective on the big blockers and on bitcoin cash and so forth and let's have a listen to what he said and then talk about whether or not uh, that's accurate because it's very, very interesting. Where did where did the last monoculture of Bitcoin go wrong? And I use the word monoculture because I think, you know, when we have these big price peaks, you really see the Bitcoin culture consolidate, right? Like now we're in a bottom, right? We're in a we're in a down. Maybe some people think of Bill Marks back. And because of that, we see a tremendous diversion, uh, diffusion of narratives, right? There's many narratives competing. And eventually, I think when the price comes back, when we're all-time science, we'll have another monoculture. That monoculture exists to basically explain to people outside of Bitcoin what's going on. And the, the upside of the monoculture is you have a very convenient way to explain Bitcoin. That helps onboard a lot of people. The downside of the monoculture is that we've seen that these monocultures tend to break. We tend to learn new things about Bitcoin and those new things over time, people have a difficult time accepting that. So one of the analogies that gets thrown a lot with the ordinals debate is the big blockers. Who are the new big blockers? Is it the anti-ordinals people or is it the pro-ordinals people? And I would invite people who are listening to consider like the problem with the big blockers was not that they supported bigger blocks. <laughs> like really, we have to, we actually have to get that through people's head. And the end result of the block size war was that the winning faction raised the block size. Let's just let's just sit with that. <laughs> the the winning side of the block size wars enacted a consensus block size increase. Okay, okay, not exactly they, true. They, that's one hundred percent what happened. Well, was, you wouldn't have. You no, wouldn't. it was a block weight increase. But 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 but, but, but but it was a block weight increase which required no hard fork. But that but that's what I mean. And then the, and the, but the problem with the big blockers is that they had a very ideological. Uh, definition of what they thought Bitcoin should be. They thought it must be a P2P digital cash. Yeah. And they were unwilling to accept any innovation that could give them what they wanted in a different way. And this is this is this is why I'm saying the rejection of Segwit and the rejection of ordinals is very similar. With Segwit, you had someone who in the development community, but a very beautiful and original idea. It was that we could increase 
the amount of information that is stored in a block, block size increased, without a hard fork. And ultimately that was so unpalatable to the other side that they became a dogmatic group of people who were unwilling to accept an alternative solution to their own problem. So all this is to say is you can make your own conclusion about who you think on this side fits that definition. But the problem with the big blockers really is that they were unable to accept new information and they were unable to deviate from their dogmatic view about what Bitcoin should be. And I think that as we think about how Bitcoin develops and we think about these different monocultures, personally, I think we need to get out of a, we need to find a way for people joining Bitcoin to have more flexible mental models. The, the, the fact that we even might have a group within Bitcoin now that is so kind of focused on certain memes, like, and those memes are so, they're so attached to those being what Bitcoin is, means that we've created a similar problem that we've had in the past. And the end result of that problem that we've had in the past is that Bitcoin forked. Bitcoin had a tremendous split in which a lot of people who use Bitcoin you know, are now like somewhere else, right? Listening to different podcasts, like in a whole different reality, in which they think completely different things about Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I mean all this to say that the nobody right now is arguing for an increase in the size of blocks, right? And that's not happening. No, no faction is. Uh, but there is a certain group of people, I think, who haven't responded to this new information. They haven't thought very critically about what, why there might be good arguments that we should support these kind of things that historically we haven't supported. Uh, so you can hear here, this is just like endless amounts of just completely rewriting the truth, right? So he starts off with saying the problem with the big blockers was not that they support a bigger block. That's an absolute complete lie. The big blocks was against consensus. It was technically unfeasible. It was dangerous. It was too early. It was serving corporate interests. All these arguments that they had have been completely swept aside. In fact, there's still people who make those arguments on the BBC side today, and yet he's here busy trying to rewrite the narrative that it wasn't even really about the bigger blocks. Then he goes on the segwit as a block size increase. That's another complete lie. Uh, and Peter McCormack even calls him out for it, which shows how ridiculous it is. Back then, it was just this 2x quick fix for Lightning Network, which will solve scaling. It's not a block size increase because those are dangerous. Now, it's supposedly this four megabyte increase. Uh, and everybody knows that Lightning Network sucks, but they didn't know that then, even though we did. And now we've been vindicated. He says the big blockers were too dogmatic which is, again, an inversion of the reality, right? Back in the day, they were saying BTC is the real Bitcoin, and if we have big blocks, that will turn the cash, it will fuck it up because it'll be a centralized custodial PayPal. Now it's the other way around. Now they acknowledge that the big blockers were actually right. They were the ones who stuck with peer-to-peer -peer cash. And uh, But the fact that we have is now rebranded as a bad thing where we just weren't innovative and weren't able to discover these new use cases for Bitcoin. And of course, ETF and Lightning Network custodians are now on their side, not the PayPal on mm -hmm. our side that they predicted. Yeah. You know, like there's just, it goes on and on and on. He says that the big blockers were unable to accept new information, even though there was the 20 megabyte proposal, 8 megabyte, 248, yeah. Segwit 2x, every stage the big blockers were adjusting and not, yeah. you know, it's lies, right? I want to jump in on that last point. So he, he tries to paint it like the uh, the BTC side was, was like trying to compromise 
But the big blockers were always unreasonable, not accepting any form of compromise, except when you look at the actual history. It's nothing else than uh, bringing compromises from the, the big blockers to the point of Segwit 2x, which was a yeah, horrible proposal. But then even then there was the bait and switch, so the 2x never happened, only the Segwit part. So to say that uh, the Bitcoin cash side or the on-chain scaling side was uh, unwilling to compromise is just... Uh, a total lie. And I think it's yeah easy to see that it was not supported by these three. Even people like uh, Adam Beck said 248 uh, megabytes. You can easily dig up those uh, tweets and it will shatter the, the negative uh, that we just heard. And one more point is, uh, to me, his, his new negative doesn't, doesn't even make sense. He says, uh, the problem with big blockers was not the block size increase, but SegWit was a block size increase, so uh, block size increases are quite good. But then nobody in ordinals or against ordinals is proposing a block size increase because they are quite bad. So uh, what, what do you want people to believe now? Are block size increases like a bad, good, uh, just uh, something that happened once but should never happen again? Like uh, quite confused in my opinion. But that's why it's so crazy because I don't think that he genuinely understands that he is just lying and rewriting history. Like, I don't think, I think he genuinely believes what he is saying, right? In his own mind, he has come to this quote unquote new understanding or he's just forgotten or buried all of that stuff in the past somewhere in his, you know, people are very changeable. This is why we're talking about history on this show, right? They rewrite the past, they think in hindsight something was obvious or different than it was at the time, and that gets forgotten and lost unless you you go back to those foundations, right? Like he says, oh, the big block has rejected a working solution that would get them what they wanted. That's completely wrong as well, too. Segwit was known to be a poison pill in the big blocker community. It was an obvious indicator that they'd been captured. It didn't fix the scaling. It doesn't, you know, uh, fix the actual problem with the culture, with the social layer. It had bad side effects in that it then led on to the ordinal stuff, which they now all hate, even though, like, it's just how many layers of lies he's saying. But it's like, I don't think he's even doing it intentionally. The one bright spot in the entire thing is at the end where he says that the, you know, big blockers are now in their own reality which is actually true. In the past, we were the scammers and attackers and the corporate shills and, you know, just dogpiled on at every opportunity. But now enough time has gone by and BCH has made enough progress and been resilient enough that they have no choice but to acknowledge it as legitimate. And just suddenly, instead of being scammers and attackers, we were just the ones who were focused on the original peer-to-peer cash mission right it's crazy so we're still in we are in a different reality if you're listening to this show and you're listening to what bitcoin did there's two different versions of history going on and it's just crazy that he can't understand that he's in the fake narrative rewriting side and his so-called other reality just is the truth (laughs) right it's unreal i don't know yeah i think his his point about uh, the monoculture in bitcoin as he calls it it does have something to it because I assume he doesn't mention it explicitly, but I assume it's talking about the Lightning Network, how Lightning is the layer two that will scale to the whole world was the yes. kind of negative for people. Digital gold. In, yes. Yeah, and peer to peer, the people who still believed in peer-to-peer cash, they said, oh, Lightning is going to scale and uh, is, is way better than on-chain scaling. And um, 
so I, I think with the monoculture uh, thing is is kind of admitting well yeah lightning uh lightning is kind of collapsing and this new thing that we didn't plan for ordinals is now suddenly big so how does our culture adjust and well yeah it, it adjusts pretty badly with many people uh denying that lightning has any problems at all and not willing because even the lightning developers they keep asking for a, a new soft fork they want something called l2 or they want something called ellen enhance uh or covenant so they want new soft forks to make their lightning implementation much better because the current way of hash time locked contracts which were enabled by segwit they ended up realizing that it doesn't work properly and it doesn't scale so they they tried the whole segwit thing to shoehorn in many different ids with fixing malleability and then enabling lightning and doing a weird block size weight increase um but yeah, I think that's now all the, the, the narratives don't make sense anymore and the developers want something new. So there's the the community in BCA, uh, in BTC, sorry, is really at a kind of crossroads because people are discontent and the developers, even in Lightning, they are, uh, yeah, they can't, they can't make Lightning work. But what are you saying about the monoculture is basically that when the price is going up, suddenly everybody's best friends because everybody's getting rich and that's what happened. Even though they won the block size war and they got to keep the branding they got to keep the ticket they got to keep the exchange liquidity they had this vision of lightning the price went up everybody was best friends and then the same thing again in the 2020 and 2021 thing everybody was hype everyone's getting rich suddenly it's all great but now the situation is different which is that even with etfs even with you know this that and the other adoption has stalled out and the price is not mooning you know i'm constantly feeling better every day about my predictions that maybe maybe the the bull run would kind of not materialize as everyone had expected maybe bdc doesn't even hit its all-time highs so now without that regular injection of we're all getting rich that everybody needed the infighting has started and it's over ordinals right mm -hmm. is that a good or a bad thing of course he's right that if btc went to all-time highs again for at least a little while everyone would be on the same page yeah yeah we're all good you know ordinals are we're all happy together but as soon as you're not getting those price pumps which is what their entire thing is built on then it just turns into fractious division and and fighting and in his world they're discovering quote unquote new narratives every time as if bitcoin is this uh, emergent phenomenon <laughs> i think with, with that part is also besides ordinals he's also talking about the, the covenants idea because in the technical community many people in in btc acknowledge that covenants are interesting but some are, are super scared about the recursive covenants thinking they will lead to some kind of disaster scenario even though we've had them on bch and nothing but cool use cases uh have come out of them uh, so i yeah i think it's it's this thing with lightning collapsing and then the the people behind the covenants proposal they have ideas for different layer tools and some of them make more sense even than than lightning uh, so if you want to switch from Lightning the, or the current implementation to either a better version of Lightning or to a different layer two, you need some kind of soft forks, but then this gets huge pushback. So uh, yeah, for me, it's super unclear what the next Bitcoin uh, upgrade will be. So kind of snow signatures and, and Taproot, uh, you, you could see it coming from a bit away. So maybe a year in advance, at least the, the snow signatures we talked about a long time ago but now with the, the next update it's it's uh, very unclear if anything can get consensus from the the small group of people actually controlling the uh
Bitcoin Core repo. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, just one final last point about uh, all this uh, rewriting of history is also there's what is said, which was mostly lies and propaganda, whether deliberately or not, but there's also what is not said, which is where is his mention in his retelling of the problems with the big blockers? Where is all the censorship and narrative control that happened and that the big blockers were protesting about then and still today? Where is the recognition that we predicted that Lightning Network was going to fail, fail that custodians were going to uh, take over, that stalled momentum would halt all of the organic you know grassroots adoption which like we saw with the same kids thing is still we've preserved that in bch but it could have been that could have been fucking everywhere if it had all just stayed on the on the right track you know with a huge network effect from the start where is his acknowledgement that these big blockers in their so-called other reality that we didn't just get this you know, randomly, it's because we've been told we're scammers and attacked and lied about over and over and over and over and over again for years. None of this is anywhere to be found in his story of, of what happened. So, I yeah, I just think it's absolutely insane that this guy is, you know, such a Bitcoin historian, but clearly his grasp on reality is just tenuously rewritten by whatever serves him in the in the moment. And you know, we just got to have this down in the historical record for people to look back at any time they want. Because if you're new to Bitcoin Cash, welcome to the ride. Because this is this is exactly what happens every year, every two years. There's a fresh set of lies and propaganda that gets cooked up to avoid the fact that from the start, Bitcoin was a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. As soon as you just lie about that, there's endless amounts of bullshit you need to keep coming up with to uh, avoid all that. All right, I just I had to get that out of my system. That is just so I can't believe it's greatly, still going on. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad it's there. I'm glad we've got it. Okay, last slide. Message to the community. What does the Bitcoin Cash community need to hear, Matthew? What 2024? Got 11 months left. What do we need to hear? Yeah, so I think I I touched upon the enthusiasm. So enthusiasm is free and positive vibes and. Uh, yeah, so I, I hope to see that more in the community. So that just the general cash tokens developments get talked about, projects shared, uh, people uh, try out stuff, uh, maybe require some time investments. Uh, but besides that, I really want to encourage builders because you have to fuel a cycle somehow. And I think we can start a lot with the builders. So now the good tooling is there. There's a, a the possibilities with cash tokens are are immense. So there's real. Uh, opportunity there to make a, a cool project just like i uh, didn't know how to code i became uh, self-taught with coding and then started a, a demo wallet with cash tokens which became cashized and now i am funded to work on it there is many opportunities like it just laying around waiting for people but not yeah people have to work hard to materialize uh, the opportunities into uh, something that can have a big impact on their life like uh, working on this stuff is uh, yeah, it's really empowering also because you get to work on the on a vision you believe in. Uh, it, it's a powerful form of critique to actually build something, um, build your own vision and help uh, help the vision materialize. So I, 
that's what I want people to, to know that it's possible to get started. I made some tutorial videos, so I hope that those can help in uh, some extent, but that people can check out a cache script documentation, maybe a try, just try out the, with the playground, an example, smart contract, and you never know, maybe that's the start of a whole journey, uh, learning how to develop. And not everybody needs to become a developer, but for the people interested, uh, yeah, there's big opportunities and you can really uh, learn a ton, uh, for example, over the course of half a year or a year, um, you can really acquire new skills that you wouldn't uh, have believed at the beginning uh, what you would be able to end up doing. So that's also why I like about uh, talking about cash and eyes that it didn't, didn't even exist one year and a half ago. And now it's funded and talking about different platforms and rewriting it with, uh, in a better uh, language with streamlined code. Um, so these are all things I, I learned along the way. So if I knew all this from the beginning, uh, things would have been a di bit different, but uh, there's a lot of value in, in learning along the way. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my message of encouragement that I want to share with everybody. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes you just got to zoom out and you just keep plugging away at it. Even if on any given day, just a small step forward, that's all you need to make. And then when you look back, a year and a half. By the way, the podcast has just passed uh, its third birthday. It was on the 23rd of January. So that's the same same thing. You know, awesome. any given day, it's just prepping up the next episode, talking to new guests, figuring out a different way that we can uh, present the show or improve the quality or promoting it a different way or, or whatever. And yeah, now here we are, you know, get over a thousand audio downloads a month and uh, that's beside all the YouTube and the Twitch stuff. And yeah, you know, it just, it all builds up um, if you just keep sticking away at it every single day. Okay. Supporter appreciation. Thank you as always to our donators. Thank you to our patrons, Ricky HP and Digital Checo. Thank you to our sponsors, General Protocols. Check out bchbull.com. The flip starter for 96 to 105 is now done. Uh, so we've delivered all those episodes. I will probably be doing another one soon for 106 to 115, I guess. Um, so everybody can look out for that, but I haven't had time to do that yet. And the reason I haven't is because I promised the sunrise video, uh, for Marcelo. And I've been working on that, that this week, that's about 80, 85% done. So I will get that out and delivered as promised before, uh, pitching my next flip starter so that's uh keep your eyes peeled for that because they'll have that coming a bit of bonus content and then the new flip starter thank you everybody for watching you can check out bitcoincashpodcast.com for the start guide faqs and links if you're new to the show check out episode 85 you can try celine wallet which has now been upgraded and is better than ever at celine.cash and we have our final shout outs. Matthew, where can people find more of you? And is there anything else you want to give a special shout out to? Um, on Twitter, so on X, people can follow me or can follow Cash and Eyes, uh, for the updates related to it. Um, special shout out. Yeah, I want to do a shout out to you uh, and to the other organizers of the Bliss Conference because I'm really excited to go there. Uh, yeah, just uh, genuinely excited to meet people in real person uh, because there's people who I've worked with uh, on on project that I, I haven't met. So that would yeah, that will be a great opportunity to meet them in real life and also just to spend BCH. So I hope to also meet some uh, 
viewers or listeners to the, of the podcast uh come and say hi in Show well. <laughs> yeah that's it list.cash www.list.cash get a ticket you're pretty tall right i get the feeling you're you're pretty tall so you might be like towering <laughs> towering yeah, yeah. i think people will see me <laughs> <laughs> all right high visibility jet any uh shout outs for the show not this time no not this time okay no and my shout out goes to everyone in the chat big v killian tombstone sally said a few people have been chatting away in the in the twitch chat as well and probably on other platforms but i haven't haven't followed it all. Uh, but thank you for coming in to watch the show live it's really that's another thing where you know once upon a time firstly i was just recording it it wasn't even live and then even after it was live you'd have no nobody in the chat no listeners nothing you know just like one viewer that was me on my other monitor so it's great <laughs> to see the the traction is is always building up and yeah people yeah enthusiasm that either just... make it enthusiasm makes it so much better to uh to create stuff if people are enthusiastic and and just positively responding yeah exactly once once people are giving you that positive energy back it forms a bit of a feedback loop you get motivated you do better and it all spreads around to everyone so yeah shout out to all the listeners uh, of the show live or not all right that'll do it thank you for listening until next time So I started realizing that if you can just find strength just a little bit longer, you will have a crew of people following you along the way. And that is another thing that no one can ever teach you. Because you, you're going to have to learn that on your own. You're going to have to figure out how to pull that energy out of your mind on your own. There's, not, there's, there's no book you can read that all of a sudden I have it. I've got the technique now. I know how to do it. Yeah. No, it's, it's a... a